0: Welcome to the Lucky Let cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. July 14th, four months into this crazy global pandemic and the fallout continues, the frustration continues and today we're going to talk about something that's sort of pandemic related and also maybe... Post-pandemic related, that is the WTA-ATP merger. It's a topic that got hot and heavy in April when Roger Federer fired off his tweet recommending or bringing up the notion of the WTA-ATP merger. Of course, a lot of people fell on board with that, including many WTA players, Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova. Um, but since then, we, you know, life has gotten in the way. We've been busy with the pandemic. We've been worrying about the U.S. Open. We've been going nuts over the Adria Tour and what happened there in the Balkans. We're worried about Roland Garros and the tour's resumption, which is going to be happening in... Wow about a month's time so so much has gone on we've kind of put this subject on the back burner but now we've got brett mccormick of the sports business journal to bring it back front burner he's recently written a piece about the subject and spent a lot of time researching, talking to sources and really finding out what's at the heart of this issue, where we are now and where we might be going forward. Um, Brett McCormick has been covering the Tennis Beat for Sports Business Journal, um, just started this year, but he's done a lot of incredible work. We've had him on the podcast several times. We recommend that you go follow him on Twitter. You can find him at Brett. Just one T that's at B R E T J U S T one T. Check them out. Keep up to speed with the business of tennis. Um, and By the way, you guys can follow us, the Lucky Letcord Podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Letcord Podcast, voila, Mean mean a lot to us. If you guys can rate and review the podcast, if you like what you're hearing. But before you do that, why don't you sit back and relax and listen to Brett McCormick as he gets us up to speed on what a potential WTA ATP merger might look like. Hello there, Brett. How are you?
1: Doing good. I'm doing good. I just uh, We're into the second half of 2020, so excited to see what that holds in store for us. Yeah, let's hope things Nervous. get better. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, no, it's tricky. Um, I mean, our purpose today in talking is to get to a subject that was kind of on the front burner, I felt like, three months ago, but it's really slipped to the back burner. But you did your part in brought it back up front writing an article for sports business journal uh, called uh, after years of talk is now the time for the w for the atp and wta to play doubles um it's a pretty deep analysis of what might be down the road for wta atp merger talk and it was pretty thorough and i know um you are the man that can kind of enlighten us and kind of bring us back up to speed on how things have gone since uh That infamous Roger Federer tweet, and since the ball kind of got rolling, and there was a lot of reaction to this topic.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me too. Um, This is a story that, like, I think I had named it in a word document or something like merger story, Uh, and it turns out, you know, it's not a merger story really, um, which I hadn't really seen that so clearly explained as um, Mickey Lawler, the president of the WTA, and. Andrea Gabinzi, who's the new chairman of the ATP, explained to me that their plans, at least immediately, are to bring uh, the tours together commercially. And so, you know, I talked to a lot of people, and and I talked to them sort of near the end of my reporting, yeah. which was which was funny because I talked to a lot of people um, with the idea of the tours seeking like a full merger. You know, so equal pay came up a lot. Um, and how complicated that was going to be was something that I talked to a lot of different people about at length. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mickey and Gaudenzi both seem to think, uh, the tourists seem to think that that is really complicated. And, and that while they are open to a full merger down the road at some point, they're going to go for what I think you would call like the low hanging fruit or like easy wins. Um, and that would be combining aspects of the tours that are fan facing. So a perfect example would be one website for the WTA and ATP, which, um, you know, it's, it's like a first world problem to have to go to a WTA website and ATP website, you know, when we complain about that, but that would, that would be like such an easy, quick little thing that they could do, um, to, to create this, um, unified experience for tennis. So, Cadenzi used this quote that I really liked. He said he wants tennis fan to have a single sign-on experience. Yep. And he meant that literally and figuratively. He does want, you know, in certain cases where you can sign on and, and access tennis, um, you know, through through one login, but also kind of figuratively, meaning that um, as far as making it easier for uh, the tennis fan to get all of this stuff instead of having to go to these disparate, you know, um broadcasters or websites or social media channels and and all this stuff. So, so like websites, um, uh, marketing, um, sponsorship sales, ticket sales, um, social media. And then the big one would be broadcasting. These are the things that they want to work to try to get aligned, uh, somehow and have, you know, um, both entities represented by, by singular, um, singular uh, mm-hmm. forward-facing uh, entities. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's interesting, though, because when you know you talk about it being a collaboration, maybe them, the single sign-on experience. But then you go on into media rights, which to me sounds a lot more complex <clears throat> and a lot more committed. I mean, if if you're, yeah, and your article talks about the the idea or the notion of tours maybe ending their media rights so they can kind of start pooling them, and I feel like if they're going to go that far, then then it's only natural that they feel like they have the bigger picture sort of in play in their heads that they really are going to go ahead with a merger, although it's not really the way it's being framed right now.
1: Yeah, and I think, so regarding the merger, the use of the term, um, I think they're just kind of avoiding that right now because that's been so politically hot in the in the past. Um, you know, you have people that just have there's just some fundamental like cultural differences with uh, global tennis, you know, that some people are just not going to get down with uh, uh, equality of men and women, um, you know, as dumb as that is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really that, that's such a simplification too, the equal pay thing because it's much more complex than that. You know, like if you have men and women playing at the same venue, it doesn't mean that the, the tournaments are the same level and so the the pay wouldn't necessarily need to be the same level. You know, just because it's a men's and women's event doesn't mean that it would automatically have equal pay. Yeah. Um but that's a very complicated like aside. Um so I think they're trying to stay out of the mud, you know, with that with that debate and leave that for further down the road. I think all the other stuff is much easier. I think the broadcast thing is kind of like um almost like an engagement ring for a merger because it, right. like you said, it is the most complex and most serious and most lucrative and most, uh, you know, involves the most money of any of those things. Um, I mean, if you look at it, there uh, I think in the story I said, it was, um, there's I think five or six countries, major tennis countries, where the ETP and WTA are broadcast, um, by the same company, you know, whether that's uh streaming or, or, um, linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's most countries it's, it's not like that. Like Germany, for example, had I think six different broadcasters that are involved, um, Australia has a bunch and the deals expire, you know, 2021, 2022, 2023. Um, so it's, you know, you really would have to set out and have a, have a really specific plan. You also might have to have some years where you didn't have a broadcast partner. If you're trying to get, you know, everything synced up, um, which would be, you know, a year of decreased revenue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, um, so that is really, really probably the last, step of the easier stuff. Um, and then after that, I think if they got to that point, then I think you could start talking about, okay, you know, how do we become more of a singular entity, you know, because there is a big a big um, stumbling point that I think you have two really recognized international brands that I'm not sure want to just give up their name their their identity so easily yes um and so i think that would also be kind of a big um image imaging imagery hurdle to overcome but um you know not to mention the um you got different classifications of of tournaments and um you know the the structures and different rules you know with coaching and things like that i mean there's a there's a lot of other stuff but um but i think in the next couple years i think you'll start to see some of these other things that will happen uh, more easily um i think it would be you know so for example for broadcasting they would one one thing they could do is create or work with the single entity so atp has atp media which sells its tournament's media rights um you could easily see how they could buy the wta's media rights as well and sell them all together yeah. um you can you could see it too how they could come up with something like that for Social media and for um, marketing and sponsorship sales. Uh, For sponsorship, they only have two competing categories at the tour level. It's uh, cars and data, I believe. So you got you know you've got a lot of um, open runway there, Um, and and uh, for social media, I think would be super easy. And then and then you're um, kind of benefiting from you know one aspect of this is, is you can kind of benefit from getting rid of some redundancies. So that may mean some people would lose some jobs, but Absolutely. You, you save on not having to have two marketing departments or two social media departments. Um, you know, and coming out of 2020, you know, that's going to be a pretty, uh, appealing prospect, um, to be able to cut costs. So yeah. I think some of that stuff, the pan, the pandemic may have, uh, sped up some of that stuff, um, that, you know, we may not see out front as easily you know, that, that that we may not uh, as a tennis fan, really even notice the difference um, uh, without, you know, paying close attention. So mm-hmm. I think some of that stuff will will happen will happen sooner than later, I would say in the next few years.
0: Yeah, so you're confident, do you think? Do you think they need to have some sort of a deal in place to even get these steps <clears throat> moving? Is this a handshake deal? Or is there something in writing that there? And if, if so, what would it look like? You know, how do, how do they actually get these get this moving out of out of theorizing and into reality?
1: That's a good question. And I don't know.
0: Um, I I mean, clearly everybody's on board.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I I think that's the biggest thing. So I think it was Steve Simon that said in, uh, I think it was in the Chris Clary New York Times story, but he said, as long as we, everybody wants to get to the same end point, like how we get there is, you know, you can work that out. The hardest thing was to get everybody to have the discussion. So like, I mean, I had, um, I think there was a quote in the, in the, in my story that was essentially like, you know, I can't remember who said it, but, um, you know, it was that they're even having the discussions is a big deal. It might've been Bill Um, but I had like 15 people tell me that, (laughs) you know, that, that they're even to this point is a big deal. And that gave everybody that really encouraged everybody because they felt like, you know, if you have the same end goal, then it's easier to, to get there because you're willing to you're interested that you're invested in, in doing it. You want to make it happen. And so I think just reaching kind of reaching that, um, end point, excuse me, is, uh, it's the biggest thing, you know? And, and so I don't know if there's like a formal deal. I don't know if they want a formal deal. I, I think that might, um, especially with as an uncertain as everything's going to be financially in the next few years for yes. tennis, um, they probably, they probably don't want any kind of, uh, formal, formal uh, structure. But I, I think there um, definitely is that consensus that, that is probably more important.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you get the sense that there's meetings going on, that there's documents passed back and forth, yeah. ideas being shared about how to move forward. So um, just uh, in, a, in a little bit more informal manner.
1: Yeah, and, it, and you know, the biggest thing I asked uh, a couple of people, oh, I asked everybody, I think, like why like why is this different now? Because, you know this came up in two thousand eight. Larry Scott, who was the uh head of the WTA at the time, was was really interested in this. He had come up in the ATP and this this was like his platform was to bring these two together and it just got like shot down like, you know, pretty immediately. The the ATP Player Council was um dead set against it. Um and you know, what like what was different this time? And one of the big one of the there's a couple things. I mean, um and these are important points because i think this is what could lead to these are the things that could lead to success um for for this particular effort i mean for starters looming over all of this you have the pandemic so they've had to the tours and everybody the alphabet soup as we love to say have had to work together like more than probably ever you know i mean the like you saw all those um press releases that had the seven logos on them you know I, that's probably not happened very often. Um so right away they're having to they're having to talk more. Also with the pandemic, you're gonna have the financial uh crunch. I mean, just I lost track of how many tournaments have been postponed or cancelled. I haven't spread the yeah, good counter you have
0: a good count on that.
1: I, yeah, it's 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 well in the sixties at least. Um, you know, for the two tours combined. Um and so I mean the 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 revenue is just in tatters, you know, it's a smoldering heap. Um and so, you know, again the the consolidation idea is you know, uh, probably appealing to them. Um, And then you've got um, a chairman at the ATP who um, came in and, and, uh, you know, interviewed for the job by explaining this idea um, to the ATP board, you know, that he wanted to um, make tennis uh, more of a fan-friendly sport, that he wanted to bring the tours into closer alignment, uh, which would, you know, make the experience better for the fan. Uh, it also, he probably didn't, uh, he didn't say this to me, but you know, it also gives them more leverage against the slams, um, you know, who they want to ultimately work with. They want to work with them, but like, you know, you also, the sport is still divided. Like, let's not, you know, let's not kid ourselves in the midst of the Kumbaya press release, uh, run, you know, the the sport is still divided. So that that, that gives them more leverage in, in that regard, um, to try to affect change in the sport. Um, and you know, another aspect is since, 2008 you've had kind of the me too movement I think women's sports have um kind of come up in the world a little bit they're still really uh not where they should be you know they're not treated completely fairly but um they've really made a lot of noise in the last five years and so I think that that probably has an impact on a player like Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal who you know may not have been overly enthused about this uh, a dozen years ago but now you know those guys are older they're kind of looking at their legacy and and this is an opportunity for tennis to kind of position itself as, you know, the sport of equality. It's sort of already, is that? I mean, one thing that was interesting in this sport or sorry, in this story was I was trying to find like precedents for this kind of situation and you can't find them. You know, there's not another sport in the world where the men's and women's version of the sport is so closely on the same level Um, you know the the nba and WNBA is not close men's and women's college sports are not close men's and women's soccer is not close Uh, and so they're you know like for example i was trying to find an example of like it has this ever happened with pulling rights of a men's and women's sport Mm -hmm. and it's really not because the women's women's sport is almost always an afterthought you know and and in this case it's absolutely not i mean you got you know when you look at the star power that's on the women's side i mean if they they bring something to the table. So, um, so all of these things kind of are why this situation feels different than um, before. And also why I think it's already not gotten, you know, shouted down um, by, uh, you know, people from the corners. I mean, look at the ATP player council. It has a very different makeup right now that I think is, um, you know, the involvement of Nadal, Djokovic and Federer. Like I said, these are guys that are like getting near the twilight or, or in the twilight of their careers. And that, you know, I think they're thinking long longer term than they might've been when they were younger. Um, so, you know, the, the, these, 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 these uh, ingredients I think make this situation different than um, when this has come up previously.
0: Mm-hmm. And you talk about the, the incredibly, incredibly untapped potential of women's sports and maybe that the, the sporting world and the world in general is moving in that direction to where it embraces women's equality, equal pay, and rights and these sort of things more. And my question to you is, do you think that the powers that be on both sides see it this way? And is that one of the things down the road that they find so attractive about this merger now that they're tapping some untapped potential that comes from, in my opinion, from the women's side?
1: yeah no definitely i and and this is um tennis already has this cool this cool kind of thing even even with like no work you know because it, it, you look at what Billie jean king and the original nine um in the virginia slims tour did um taught the top 10 uh women athletes uh richest women athletes in forbes every year are, ten, are all tennis players absolutely um this year uh osaka took over um and actually, this year, uh, the men's and the women's uh, richest athlete were both we're both tennis players with Federer and Osaka. So, um, so on on one hand, there is this great story to tell of like this is the sport where men and women are equal, you know. And, and while it's not a hundred percent true, it is way more true than in any other sport. Um, and and then on the more like cynical business side, um, you have an incredible commercial opportunity with men and women because. Uh, in tennis because, first of all, the, the tennis audience is is as evenly split as any sport in the world, probably more than any sport in the world. You know, it's really about 50-50. So um, you're able – a, a company is able to – a sponsor um, or a corporate par- partner is able to reach a really um, evenly split fan base, which is unusual. You know, most sports are really lopsided towards men. Um, and then you've also got uh, – you've also got this situation where, say, for example – uh you know, if it just out of the blue, Federer Nadal and Djokovic retire in the next year. Um you've got the you know, the ATP in that case could kind of lean on the star power of the WTA until, you know, Sitsipas and Zverev and some of these others, you know, kind of found their feet. Um and so you've got uh Kim Solomon, the tennis channel president, explained this like really basically and clearly um, yes. when I was talking to him about it. But he was like you've just got There's more stars. You've got more great moments. You know, why wouldn't you want to bring the two together to increase the likelihood that you've got something you can ride on social media or something that's going to be in the, in the media, you know, like, I mean, you look at somebody like Coco Gauff. I mean, if I'm the ATP, which has little to no presence in the United States right now, um, beyond, you know, the big three, and even that is not, not much um Coco Gauss is, is going to be a crossover star I mean Serena Williams is, a, is the biggest tennis star in the United States uh and Coco is going to be that that same kind of person that's on Sports Center you yeah. know that, that that breaks through that every time she plays at a Grand Slam the highlights are going to be shown um yeah and the ATP does not have that right now and so um you know uh when you when you bring the men and the women together, you just increase the likelihood that or you just increase the ability to use the other tourist stars to enhance the sport of tennis as a whole. And and so that that is like such an uh no brainer. You know, I mean that's a, like such an easy again, a low hanging fruit, like easy thing to do. Um yeah. uh, that that, you know, I, I think everybody really gets that.
0: Yeah. yeah, you answered one of my questions um, before I got to ask it, which is the the quote of Solomon. He asked, "Is Coco Golf, if Coco Golf were being marketed on the same platform as the ATP, does that help the ATP with non-tennis fans?" <clears throat> so I was going to put that question to you, but you just answered it for me. I mean, of course, and uh, vice versa, it could work the other way too. Having a guy like Sitsipas or or whoever, you know, these this kind Kyrgios. of curious, yeah, yeah, curious is a good. <laughs> Kyr- yeah, Kyrgios has become I'm surprised that the transformation of. that's a whole different discussion but yeah he's become a very interesting personality very quotable very newsworthy yeah and having these guys kind of kind of like blend across platforms I think would be fantastic and then having him do media together more often and have him interact together all these things I think would be highly beneficial
1: yeah and uh yeah Kyrios, the uh tennis's voice of reason um <laughs> Uh, think about um, the, the potential to reach fans that are on Instagram or you know that are younger, that are not tennis fans. CoCo is somebody that does that. Federer is somebody that does that. Serena is somebody that does that. So if you've got like for, I guess, think about it this way, if you've got the ATP right now, you, you maybe have three players that do that, probably one. If you're the ATP, you maybe have two or three. Um, I would say Osaka might be there. Anissa Mova might be because, you know, she's younger and has got um, kind of a Instagram following. But, um, you know, those are the kinds of players that are um, Tsitsipas, I would say, is probably globally is probably in this group, too, that are like style icons. You know, they tend to be kind of good looking or they have like a great personality. Um, is kind of like this, too. Um, But they're people that cut through tennis and are cool athletes. You know, and and so these these you know combining the tours is another way to like kind of reach um, reach fans that are probably not major tennis fans. So if you if you're walking down the street and you see a picture with Federer, you know, and you're in like Atlanta, Georgia, some people may know who he is, um, but if you've got a picture, um, you know, uh, of the two tours, some sort of promotional piece that's got Serena and Federer on it, you know that that may Serena's addition may be the thing that catches the eye of the person that is very familiar with her, but is not a tennis fan. And so there is more potential uh, for for breaking through beyond the tennis as a fan, um, which is something that I don't think the sport has done that great. Tennis fans are like really generally intense and like, like both tours, you know, and and are very focused on the sport. Um, And it's, you know, I don't know that they've done the, the best job of, of, of reaching beyond that. You know, there's no video game and it's kind of hard to find on TV. And um, so, I, you know, I think doing something like this, again, getting all those stars together, like grouping them together is uh is really a good idea for, for the future of the sport.
0: And no, you make an interesting point, which I hadn't have. I hadn't thought of so much. If you look at it in a, in a more America centric way, which of course is one of the bigger markets. And we've been without a Grand Slam champion on the men's side for so long, we really rely on the on the women for for high quality tennis and for star power with Serena and the Williams sisters and now Coco coming up. And when you think about it that way, um, it makes uh, a lot of sense for in, in the Americas for, for sure to have the, the yeah. women help right. help kind of pull the weight. Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating, and I, I guess it's another discussion also about how big of a market America is, and how important it is, and how good it would be for it to generate more sponsorship and revenue and such things.
1: Huge, yeah. You know, tennis needs tennis needs the United States for sure. I mean, it's it's obviously a global sport, but um, it's such a it's such an untapped market. You know, think about it like uh, China and the U.S. I mean, if, if they could if they could really get them behind tennis, it would be incredible for the ATP and the WTA. Um, you know, they've already, you've already seen kind of the toe in the waters with what's possible with China. So, um, Mm. no, it's a, it's a really interesting, um, idea and, you know, they're, they're talking about it a lot and God, openly admitted that, you know, it's obvious that the pandemic has really, um, swallowed up a lot of his time, but, you know, I think this is something that they're, really interested in and going to return to once you know they can catch catch their breath and not have to worry about uh all the cleanup and 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 um you know salvage job that they're trying to do right now
0: yeah it's a tough time right now i mean it's great that the idea got out got out there and got on everybody's mind but yeah it's sort of back to just grinding and trying to figure out how to pull these tournaments off right now which has been tough when do you see real change happening
1: that's hard to say um I don't know. I, I think it'll be incremental and I think it'll be, you know, little stuff at first and um uh, probably but I I think I think some of that stuff will happen, you know, in the next few years. I mean, I think um I think some of those things can be achieved much more easily. The, the broadcast part is very complicated and um that's going to take a long time. They'll they'll have to figure out first of all how to pull their rights um and in, you know, will they do that everywhere or, or, you know, there's a lot of contracts involved in that. And, and there's so many countries. I mean, yeah. you know, it's shown all over the world. So um, that one is down the road, I would guess.
0: I think you mentioned 65 different ATP rights deals and about 35 on the WTA side. I'm kind of ballparking there.
1: Yeah. 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 So, and again, like I said, um, you know, amount. some of those countries you've got some of those countries you've got, six or seven different ones, and you've got some public broadcasters like the BBC. Um, you've got streaming like Amazon. Uh, you've got, you know, linear. You've got uh, kind of the unusual one with uh, Tennis Channel, which is linear and streaming. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of every single possibility, you know, it's 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 out there. So um, that will be definitely a challenge to, to get uh, synced up in yeah. that regard.
0: Do you think this will create... From, from these multiple interviews that you've conducted and the, the amount of time you spend on this, do you get a feel that it will create a better environment for players in terms of sponsorship opportunities, revenues, and so forth? And if so, how, yeah, definitely. how, how do you see that playing out? For for, for instance, you know, just uh, for a handful of players ranked between, you know, just across the board, there's more money to be made in sponsorship if they're aligned because of what? Yep,
1: that's, that's it. Yeah, no, that's it. So if you can get, um, if you can create a a more attractive product, then you can draw more sponsorship and, um, commercial, commercial interest. And then that's just going to trickle down. So there's going to be more opportunities for, um, you know, the tours, tournaments and players, uh, and players, especially because they're the, the faces of this, you know, so there, there's more opportunity for them, um, you know, uh, maybe they're, for example, like a company that has um, caveats on its marketing spend that you know it can't just it can't sponsor uh, a sport or event that is just male or female, you know. And so now that if you had a uh, the tour is more closely aligned and it, and and that became kind of categorized as dual gender. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's opening the sport up to companies that were interested in tennis, you know, especially for the, how international it is and how um, evenly split the fans' genders are um, and, and, you know, inviting them into the sport and then, you know, creating more opportunity for players. So, um, no, I, I, it's, it's kind of a, it seems like to me that it's sort of a trickle down thing, but it all starts with just more interest in the sport from sponsors and then there just becomes more money. And like you said, that could end up, um, resulting in more prize money or, and, or, uh, you know, just more commercial opportunities Mm -hmm. for, for the players themselves.
0: You got a sense that there's an excitement from the agent side. I think you spoke with Max Eisenbud among others about this.
1: Yeah. I spoke with a couple of, couple of agents. Yeah. Um, definitely. And, and I think, uh, I also got, um, you know, to be clear, the WTA has like been behind this idea for a long time. So the ATP is just coming around to this. This this has been something the WTA has wanted to do for a long time. As Billie Jean King said, this is, you know, the WTA was always plan B. They wanted to be with the men, but male dominated tennis in the early seventies, you know, was just not uh, suitable for the women. They they just were oppressing them too much. So um, they've always wanted to be there, but, a lot of people are really, really, really high on uh, Godinzi, and they think that he's going to do a great job. He's really smart commercially. He has a really interesting background. You know, he's worked in the music industry, gaming, uh, broadcasting. You know, all things that um, have applicable, um, you know, uh, learnings uh, for for how he can move um, the ATP tour forward. Um, and so, God NG is is a big Enzy is a big part of why this is got some juice, I think, you know, cause like I said, the WTA has been there and they've kind of, I think been patiently waiting for somebody to see the, the, um, possibility here. But, um, you know, I think God, is, is the difference and, you know, part of that might be because of who he is, but then also, you know, they split Chris Kermode's job when he left, uh, into chairman and CEO. Yep. So you got Mass- Massimo Calvelli who's the CEO And as Gaudenzi explained it to me, Calvelli is going to handle more of the day-to-day stuff. And when things return to somewhat normal, you know, when they don't have to um, change the calendar every week, uh, Gaudenzi will be dealing with the longer term, 35,000 feet projects. And so I think that's an exciting position to have him in because um, he, you know, talking to him, he's really clever and I think very smart and understands some of the issues that tennis has and, and some of the ways that if it could just work together could easily um, improve the sport. Uh, you know, things that you look at like in other sports that would be, you know, just obvious things that would be done that aren't done in tennis because there's just always been sort of a, yeah. a lot of parties pulling in different directions.
0: He does seem like a really interesting and intelligent guy. I've enjoyed watching him speak. And I think we, I think we should note here that Gaudenzi came in and, and correct me if I'm wrong but this is pre-pandemic notion this is not desperation on his part I mean this was his agenda when he took yeah. over I mean he didn't know about coronavirus when he started working in this direction correct
1: correct no this and like I said this was um, he pitched this when he interviewed and so that was in um, the fall before coronavirus was even in China so um, this was this was not a um, kumbaya moment you know that that has helped it, but um, this did not stem from that. He also um, he also explained this to the players at the Australian Open when they had a players' meeting, um, and then you know through all their meetings with the players' councils when he would have talked to Federer and Nadal and those guys about it, and clearly appeared to have won them over. Um, I asked uh, Mickey and Gaudenzi about Federer's tweet. They said they had no part in that. I just told them that I, you know nothing with Federer seems like an accident or random, so I I thought maybe there was some scheming behind behind that, but apparently not. <laughs> oh,
0: interesting. Okay. Um, well, yeah.
1: if, if anything,
0: what would you say was um, one of the most surprising revelations you you come came across during your research for this piece?
1: Uh, a couple of things. First off, that like how willing they were to talk about it. Um, both sides, I kind of had wondered if they would be willing to go on the record about this. And like they were definitely willing, uh-huh. which, you that, know, that said a lot that. to me because yeah, when you deal with private um, sports properties and they don't want to tell you something, they don't tell you like they don't have to, <laughs> yep. you know, so they don't, they don't talk about things that they don't have to talk about. And, uh,
0: Makes they, your job easier. You know,
1: both sides were, yeah, it did. It really did. It, it surprised me um, to a degree, but both sides were really interested in talking about this. Um, and then also that uh, how interested God seemed in this, you know, that, that he had brought this to the table before the pandemic, um, that this was really a cornerstone, like of his platform, you know, to, to get the job. And so I thought that also said a lot because, you know, this was a big part of what he was bringing to the table and he got the job, you know, so that right there is a bit of an endorsement, you know, from the higher ups at the ATP, um, you know, on the board and and among the players that, um, that they were behind this, you know, so, so that, that was something I hadn't, I hadn't really realized either. So uh, I, I think those two, two things gave me a better feeling about this, you know, especially as I was writing it, not just, that I was writing a story about oh Federer tweeted about it and it's popped up again, but like there's really some juice behind it. You know, there's really something there. And then of course anytime you get the backing of somebody like Federer, that also said something. You know, I mean that, that also was um a really good sign for the end goal of this of this idea. So
0: there was um, a lot of support I,
1: I feel too. yeah Yeah, I feel Positive about it, you know. Like I think, I think they I think people are legitimately uh, interested in it, and, and I think that's a great thing for tennis. I think it'd be cool to see what they can do if they can kind of get on the same page.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's an excellent piece, and I appreciate you um, working hard to get it out there. After years of talk, is now the time for the ATP and WTA to play doubles. It's on Sports Business Journal. You guys can check it out it, it, if you haven't already. It came, uh, it was published June 29th and you guys should follow Brett on Twitter and keep in touch with all his work and uh, around the tennis world. He's been on the beat all year covering a, one of the the craziest year, maybe in, in tennis <laughs> yeah. history and doing a great job of it. So appreciate you. Um, any, any anything you wanted to plug or tell the listeners where, they, where uh, they can find you before we uh, say goodbye, Brett.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, I'm at, at Brett, just one T B R E T J U S T number one key on Twitter and uh, I'm on there a lot and um, nothing else I really want to plug. I mean, we, you know, a lot of our stuff is behind a paywall, but uh, definitely trying to cover the business side of tennis. It's fascinating and uh, kind of murky and, and definitely uh, some, some uh, inter marriage yeah. <laughs> within the sport, which makes it kind of interesting to cover. So um, yeah, just follow on Twitter and uh, you know, you'll you see most of my stuff that I put out. Cool. And important
0: to note: this one is not behind a paywall.
1: Correct. This one is open to everybody.
0: And actually, if you guys follow Brett on Twitter, you'll find that a lot of this stuff comes for free now, more than than ever before at Sports Business Journal. Maybe it's because of the pandemic, yeah. maybe not. But, I mean, it's not like you're going to get hit with the paywall and everything. And, and you know, and if you like what you see, you can always uh, pony up a few bucks. For um, sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks for
0: having me. <clears throat> hey, thanks, Brett. I really appreciate it. I think this is the third time this year, and uh, I'm sure we will talk again soon. you be well. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to special guest Brett McCormick for joining us. It's the third time he's been on this year. We always appreciate his insights. Do go over to Twitter, give him a follow, and keep up with all of the tennis news he's churning out. You also can follow the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and it would mean a lot if you do. Go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast. voila. We love it. If you rate and review, it would mean a lot to us. And don't forget Tennis Now. You can find us on social, at tennis underscore now on Twitter, facebook.com slash tennis now on Facebook. And, of course, you can come over to the website, www.tennisnow.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. You guys be safe, be strong. We'll see you soon. And hang in there. Tennis is coming back.